What's up, guys? Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast. This is your host, Walker Near. The music for today's show is provided by Misha Zarin. So many thanks to Misha. I strongly encourage people to check out their local food bank to see how they can help, as food banks like Ozark's Food Harvest here in my town are helping families overcome food insecurity, which is a problem we need to solve. You can also follow me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at either The Walk Show or The Walk Show Pod. I've got links in the show notes for you. This week, we are joined all the way from Ecuador by Kate Kunkel, who's a coach and author of the book, Don't Let the Memories Fade, a holistic approach to preventing dementia and creating a healthier and more vibrant future. After Kate's mother suffered from dementia, Kate decided to start researching dementia and ways to prevent it. Kate has some truly great information, which is all based on lifestyle choices and things anyone can do regardless of means. Kate's work is enormously important, and I am thrilled to share her work with you. So let's get on over to that conversation. Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast. Kate Kunkel, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Oh, Perfect. Uh, it is such a beautiful day here in Ecuador. I am just very happy to be talking with you and enjoying this gorgeous day. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I was really excited. Uh, I say this every time I talk to an international guest, but I'm always so tickled when I talk to people uh, from outside the U.S. I'm personally from Springfield, Missouri, so I'm the, from any any town USA, basically. And so <laughs> yeah. and I've never traveled abroad or anything, so it's always very exciting. Um Okay, you have uh, uh, quite a few titles, I guess we could say. You're a vegan nutritionist, you're a health coach, you're an author, you're a dementia prevention specialist, um, but you've, you've got a lot of work that, that you're doing, and I think it's all really, really interesting, so I'm excited, excited to jump into it. Um, let's, let's actually, uh, let's start with, you know, I guess the, the talk about um, the dementia prevention, because it seems like that's really the focus of, yes. of your work, is that, yeah. Um, yeah. So do you kind of want to talk about how, how you got started in that work? And, sure. and we'll go from there. Absolutely. So um, 10 years ago, my mom was diagnosed with dementia. It was just about the time I moved back to Canada after living in the States for 25 years. And it was quite a, a shock. I'd, I'd moved back to spend some time with her. And it turns out that um, the time I got to spend with her was pretty difficult because she, she was losing her faculties pretty fast and her dementia was very fast moving. Um, so when I realized what was happening with her, I set out to try and fix it because that's what I do. I'm, <laughs> I try to be a fixer. Yeah. So I did all the research. Um, my, my first job many, many, many years ago was as a paralegal. And in that job, I specialized in research. And all those years since then, Anytime something's come up, I've used those research skills. And so I tapped into those big time when mom got sick. And um, I learned so much about why she had developed this. I mean, she worked in a factory in Tilsonburg, Ontario, Canada. Mm. She was exposed to petrochemicals in this factory. She had cancer a few times and she was treated with radiation therapy and uh, she was a housewife of the 50s. So um, that was about the time that processed food started to get real popular. Mm -hmm. And so not only did she have these exposures in her environment, she also was eating things that were not healthy or nutritious. So between that and all the stress of, of life, she had many jobs. She worked a lot. So um, I think it was pretty natural that she should develop dementia. After I learned what I did, it's like, holy crap, she had to develop it with, with all of the risk factors she'd been exposed to all of her life. So anyway, that got me on the track of, of figuring out why this happened to make darn sure I didn't let this happen to me or my sister because my father's mother also had dementia and my mother's mom died with it. She didn't die of it, but she had it when she passed away at 95. So, you know, it's pretty, um, pretty important to figure out how not to get this. And during this research, I, you know, I became a vegan nutritionist. I, well, I turned vegan first and then I got my certification and then I, I just dug in and then I wrote the book called don't call them, don't let the memories fade because the idea was that my mom 
I mean, at the end there, she, she was a doll collector. She had um, the largest private collection of dolls in Canada. Oh, wow. Many years. Yeah, that was her thing. And yeah. at the end, she didn't even remember dolls. Like she didn't like, it was so sad to see her passion gone. So yeah. anyway, that's what got me started with the, with the research and with the program and figuring out a way to protect myself and my sister and anybody else. And it got to the point where I was just, you know, sharing this information to, with whoever would listen to me Yeah, <laughs> and that's where it started. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a, I mean, as just outlined in the story you shared, it's a, a devastating uh, disease um, that, that, that affects people. This I don't know if this is a, a reasonable question or not, but so I've you know I've known about Alzheimer's for a long time, but I really only became aware of dementia as, as even a term in I don't know maybe the last ten years or so. Is there a distinction between those, or does it does it matter? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So dementia is an umbrella term. Okay. Dementia. There are many kinds of dementia. There's um, frontotemporal dementia. There are there's a uh, um, uh, like a Parkinsonianism, Parkinsonism type dementia. There's Alzheimer's is a type of dementia. Alzheimer's has a very specific um, set of symptoms, a set of uh, problems. So with Alzheimer's, we have these proteins that build up in the brain and they cause these plaques and tangles that you've heard about probably. Those mm -hmm. plaques and tangles have been the focus of the pharmaceutical industries. Um, race to find a cure. Um, but those plaques and tangles are actually uh, our body's defense mechanism. It's an, our immune response to something else that's causing them. So it's like when we get a cut and everything around it becomes red and swollen, that's, a def that's an immune system reaction. The same with the plaques and tangles. So by trying to get rid of them, all they're doing is, is messing with the immune system. So that's why it doesn't work. Why all the drugs have failed. They never they, they, they might um, destroy some of the plaques and tangles for a while, but they always come back with a vengeance and then the dementia goes very fast. And that's what happened with mom. She was put on one of the drugs. I don't remember which one. And um, it wasn't too long and it stopped working and she just plummeted. So... Wow. Okay. Okay. So, so there is a distinction, but really dementia is like you said, is, is the umbrella term for them. So when right. talking about dementia, that includes Alzheimer's. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so just in, in what you've talked about a little bit so far with, with transitioning to, to veganism and, and then, um, or I don't know if it's called veganism, becoming a vegan, whatever. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I don't mean to make it sound like a religious cause or something. But <laughs> <laughs> I think some people are afraid of it like that. It's not that, but, um, but anyway, and then subsequently a nutritionist. So how does that kind of tie into to the, the prevention of dementia then? How does the diet work with that? Our lifestyle, about 70% of dementia cases of all kinds could be prevented with proper lifestyle changes. That's a pretty big number. Yeah. So, yeah, it's huge. A big part of that, of course, is diet, but it's not just diet. It's also about exercise. People who live a sedentary lifestyle have a much bigger chance of developing dementia, even if they did eat a whole foods, plant-based diet. Oh. Because we need exercise. People who do not sleep properly, who do not get eight, about eight hours of sleep, and who do not get proper sleep, not just the amount, but the right kind of sleep, they also have a huge, even if, they're, if they have a good diet. People who are socially isolated have a much higher chance of developing dementia than those who have an active social life with, with good quality contacts with people. If you have a lower education rate, like a lower level of education, that's called cognitive, you have less cognitive reserve. And unless you continue learning and growing as you age, that lower uh, level of education means that you have less reserve. So that if something does give your brain issues later on in life, it's not going to have the backup. So all of these things go together to to pre present lifestyle changes opportunities for change to avoid dementia of all kinds 
I see. I see. So it's not just diet. It's a it's, like all things. There's never just one <laughs> one thing That's we can do right. to fix everything. <laughs> I mean, look at cancer, cancer and heart heart disease. Those are the mm-hmm. first two killers in the United States, right? Dementia is, is coming up pretty fast on number three. Number one and two are completely, almost completely lifestyle related. Certainly heart disease and right. most cancers. Now, there are some that, that are not, but most of these diseases are lifestyle related. Think of how many, I mean, I'm 62 years old. When I was a kid, the only person I knew who had cancer was my grandpa. He died of cancer. Now, so many people I know have survived cancer or died with cancer. I've had, I have like many good friends. My husband's daughter died of cancer at 27. Oh my so, God. yeah. So, I mean, when you think about it, what's different now than when I was a kid? Lots of things are different. For one thing, people sit on their tushes in half the time or more than half the time, right? Yep. Yeah. We don't have social networks like we did, like real social networks. I don't mean... Despite the prevalence of internet social networks. <laughs> that's right. We don't have like social connection. People mm-hmm. don't sleep. There is a huge sleep, like an insomnia, like an epidemic in North America and Europe. And people eat crap, basically. Yeah. That's, you know, you go down the middle aisles of the a supermarket and it is just poison. So that's why it's different now. So and the same with dementia. It is growing and growing. And people today, the, the uh, people are getting it much younger now. My generation is the first generation. So I'm a baby boomer. Ours is the first generation to get dementia earlier than our parents. Oh, Wow. Wow. I, you hear a lot of, so I'm, I'm not a baby boomer. Um, so for people of my generation, we're told that we're going to be the first generation that is uh, financially worse off than our parents. Um, I don't know that that's a worse outcome than what you just said. I think I might... <laughs> not, not that we're trying to compare bad outcomes or anything, but just um, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's tough. Well, I mean, it, you know, I, I certainly am someone who has had a largely a pretty poor diet most of my life. Now, um, in the last four or five months or so, I've, I've turned it around quite a bit, um, and eat a lot more vegetables and a lot less meat and, you know, cook things a lot more instead of eating out. Good. And it, it's just, it's just shocking though, how, um, cause it's not just the prevalence of the, what I'll, what I'll just blanket called bad food but it's also just the the insidiousness of the marketing of it mm-hmm. that is just like <laughs> it's it's frightening i mean i i was watching i don't watch tv all that often now to be clear that is not because i lead I, i'm not like an outdoorsman or something i play video games and do other things that are equally unhealthy so it's not a holier <laughs> statement um but i don't watch a lot of tv well the I, i'm a big basketball fan and the the professional basketball championships are going on right now and so i'm watching some of those those games and so i'm seeing commercials and yeah i mean just like some of these fast food commercials i mean you know they'll have a commercial where it's buy one get one free or something and and the people in the commercial are acting and i I get that they're actors but they're portraying it like it's this huge windfall that they get this extra sandwich for a dollar off or whatever and it's like a i mean the savings is, is, is not actually that remarkable but b you're not saving anything because this is crazy like this is so unhealthy like you do no offense to burger king but no one needs that like it's no. <laughs> it's, it's just like bad supersize me did you see that movie supersize yes. me well i mean think about that for a minute that guy yeah. was only on that diet for what a couple of weeks right. look how sick he got so think of a whole population. I mean, I think it's like 65% of the American population is obese. That's pretty scary. And that is not that is not by mistake. That is that is by design. I'm convinced it's by design. The fat the big food, big agriculture, you know, it's marketing, it's it's get them sick, and then we can look after them and make more money from our pharmaceutical division. So, you know, it's it the marketing is part of it. And also the convenience. I mean, of course, my mom, when I was little, she didn't work. Um, They didn't have to work like the moms 
stayed home and they cooked and they made real meals. Now, later on when she started working and we ended up eating a lot of like chef boyard tea and, and stuff like that because it was convenient, it was fast for her. But you think about all the families that now there's no choice, but you have to have both people working. You got kids. I worked at a daycare center for a very short time in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I can remember, I worked in the front office. I can remember this father coming in. He's a very wealthy man, very high powered guy. But he'd come in and he'd pick up his kids. And on the way out, I'd hear him ask them, okay, is it McDonald's or pizza tonight? <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's uh... Because he didn't have time and he wasn't going to make the time to feed his children a proper meal. I often wonder what happened to those kids. That's 25 years ago now. I'm sure they're probably got some issues. But anyway, it's it's the marketing, it's the busyness, it's the, the lifestyle. And as much as I despise the COVID lockdown, because here in Ecuador, it has caused absolute mayhem and, and such poverty, you, it's frightening. So mm. I don't agree with that. But what it did do for many people is make them think about a garden, make them think about cooking at home because they're not going to go out. A lot of people changed their diet substantially over the last five or six months. And, yeah. and you know, some people went exactly the opposite direction and, and, you know, ate Oreos eight hours a day. But a lot <laughs> of people also thought about, you know, their immune system and how to get healthier. And so they started cooking and e eating at home. So, you know... That's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. It well, and it's just it's so um, it's so kind of, and I'm speaking to the American culture, of course, but it's so baked into our culture how um, to to just kind of assume that it's all that it's all fine. I'm like, no, no, everything's fine. But I, and I just interviewed this really, really kind and, and lovely couple. Um, from British Columbia that runs a uh, uh, organic or no, sorry, not organic, a plant-based, <laughs> um, mostly organic uh, bakery where they make sourdough bread. And, and I was talking to the, the husband who's the, the baker about it. And he said, yeah, I mean, the ingredients in our bread, it's three, it's, it's flour, salt, and water. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, you go look at a wonder bread. There's 35 ingredients. Yeah. And most of them you can't even pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's like, there, there's, you know, and there are some of those maybe innocuous, like, or innocuous, like maybe, but, but certainly not all. And, and beyond that, and I am included in this. So this is, again, I'm not calling other people or something. I have no idea what that list of 35 yeah. ingredients beyond salt, flour, water is right. So yeah. I, it, even if I, even if they told me what it was, I don't even, you know, we're not paying attention to that. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's, um, it's, it's, it's certainly kind of a, a frightening thing. Well, and then beyond, you know, the things that we're talking about, then it also goes into environmentalism where we've got all this farmland dedicated to growing crops, to feed cows, <laughs> to then feed people. And it's like, what, you know, what are we doing? Yeah. It's not, not, a, not, sustainable it's not sustainable and you know they've they've developed these genetically modified foods um the problem is they have all kinds of problems because they've soaked them with glyphosate which is a toxin in so many ways glyphosate is actually connected to many illnesses including autoimmune diseases you know so many people now who have things like lupus and parkinson's and and um ms um those are autoimmune diseases and i'm convinced that the that so many of them are because of the glyphosate, because it is a toxin and, and it is very much implicated in the development of dementia. So we've got these crops being grown for for people, but but mostly for animals. Those animals are eating that stuff and it's getting concentrated in the meat and milk of those poor animals that are also mistreated in factory farms. So mm -hmm. you've got the energy of that. You've got the, the poisons and Plus, you're using all this water and all of the waste from those animals is dumping into our our um, environment. So it's just it's like a, a lose lose situation over and over again. Yeah, this is I, I promise I'm not going in a, a politics direction for very long and, and not even on a certain side or another. But like, it, you know, the chaos that is American politics right now it feels like it's kind of a byproduct of all of this where it's like 
everything is just kind of this like facade. And now yeah. that's been turned into what the politics is. It's just, it's kind of a facade of politics and it, and it's hard to find our way out of it because the whole, the whole country's built on that. You know what I mean? We the watch the whole again, world. Yeah. The whole world, hon. It's not just the U S okay. it's Canada. It's Europe. It's mm. South America. Now here mm. in Ecuador, they do not allow genetically modified foods mm. at all. Like you can't grow them. Sometimes they get imported products like soy, um, soy sauce. And if it is, if it does have genetically modified soy, there's a label on it. They label everything, but you can't grow GM foods here. Thank God. That's one of the reasons I chose to move here is because I just don't want to be in that. But um, it's not just the U.S., hon. It's it's everywhere. It's insidious on the planet. It's just. It's like this this planned um, destruction of the environment. It seems like sometimes, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, it's it. You know, and I was I was largely still a, a kid whenever this was all going on, but I've watched some documentaries and stuff on it. But it's it's kind of reminiscent of like what what went on with big tobacco, where uh-huh. they you know just just showed up and just straight lied to people forever, and then I don't know actually how it finally worked but somehow finally (laughs) finally it was admitted that this was all wrong and whatever but then i understand that now those tobacco companies largely just operate in more poverty-stricken countries that don't have the same resources that we do to educate people and that sort of stuff so it's just shifted to poorer people unfortunately yeah and you know what it's really interesting because when i first came here i started traveling to ecuador in 2014 and i honestly don't remember seeing anybody smoke no Ecuadorians anyway, we'd see American tourists smoking. Mm. And in the last year and a half or so, going into the Mercado, which is like the open air market where I buy most of my fruits and vegetables, I see vendors selling cigarettes. And this, the, I, I swear I don't remember seeing that until about the last year and a half. But still the packages are like in the U.S. and Canada where you've got these horrible images of cancers and all that stuff on the, on the packages. It's still on the packages here. They're, they label them the same way. But mm-hmm. it's, it's almost become, now with, with the economy dying here right now with this lockdown, I don't know if people are going to be able to afford it because people aren't working. They're not eating, so they're not going to be able to smoke, which maybe is a good thing. But right. um, <laughs> I guess. Um, yeah, I guess. Um, it, it just seems like uh, uh, this idea of smoking is like um, like instant coffee here is a status symbol because mm-hmm. it's more expensive. We grow coffee here. It's more expensive. So it's like a status symbol. And I really believe that part of the smoking thing here now is the same thing. And it's mm-hmm. brought in from North America, just like Pepsi and Coke were before Pepsi and Coke came Diabetes was unheard of in this country. Didn't have it. Yeah. So my mom is a, is a type one diabetic for 30 years, oh. which for anyone who's not aware, type one is not a condition of diet. It's a, no. your organ doesn't work correctly. Um, right. I didn't understand. Well, so it, it, it's been really strange to me when we go, um, you know, she's had to be in a hospital just for different things or, or, um, just in dealing with, with doctors that are not endocrinologists. So they're not really that familiar with diabetes. Like it's, it's astonishing to me how little knowledge there is or understanding of diabetes, except then it dawned on me that that's because the vast majority of people that, that these medical professionals are dealing with are type two diabetics. And, and I looked it up the other day and it's like 90% of the diabetes yeah. in America is type two. I had no idea that that, that it was that, you know, far out of whack. Like I thought, because I've grown up with a diabetic mother, yeah. I just thought it was like something that people had. Uh, sometimes. I realized it was actually really rare for someone to be a type one diabetic. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, well that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's terrible. <laughs> the, the type two diabetes is becoming prevalent there as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now the one thing is very interesting here in India, um, have very very low rates of dementia very low rates Mm. and and like um canada the u.s and sweden and a couple of other european countries are very very high like um by the time a woman is 65 
she has a um, like a 40% chance of developing dementia by the time she's 80. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's that's a really high likelihood. Yeah, it's, that's really not good. And that's why I'm I'm out here on my mission to help people not let that happen. Yeah. But in but here in in Ecuador, it's like 144th in the world for for uh, dementia. And um, I believe that here it's because of so many fruits and vegetables. It's and and we yucca and those sorts of things. Um, there is hardly any processed food. Well, now it's coming in, but before there was hardly any processed food. In uh, it, uh, Italy, <laughs> India, it's largely in many areas vegetarian or vegan. So that's a reason for them having a lower rate. And it is actually by area. So if there's an area where there are more people who are vegan or vegetarian, they have a much lower rate of, of dementia. But it just tells you right there, they don't have money. They're not, I mean, the Ecuadorian people have never, it's never been a rich country, but it's, mm-hmm. it has copious amounts of fresh fruits and vegetables. So, you know, that's, and the fact there was hardly ever any diabetes even though they right. eat a lot of rice, they and they always ate rice, and people say, "Well, it's starchy." Yeah, but they didn't have diabetes, <laughs> you know, type two diabetes. Right, right. Well, and I mean, so is rice considered a processed food? It's not a processed food, but because it, it turns to sugar, if you have white rice, it turns to sugar pretty fast in your body. It's a carbohydrate, right? Right. Uh, and and even brown rice does to a you know relatively quickly. So it's, it's all about the glycemic index, how quickly you, your body has to, you, you know that, your, your mom's type one, so you understand that completely. But sure. that's why. And potatoes, white potatoes, anything white pretty well, you have to really watch it for both type one and type two, two diabetes, right? Just because of the, the, the way it turns into sugar in your body. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, like for the diabetic, that's going to impact their, their blood sugar or whatever. Yes. I guess... I, I guess what I meant more was like, if if someone was trying to eat a, a diet with no processed foods, though rice is not excluded from that diet. No, not at all. But it's better to okay. have brown because white rice okay. it's it's missing a lot of the nutrients, so it's kind of like empty calories. But if you have brown rice or or whole grain rice, like a, a wild rice or something, then it's fine. Like I I don't eat a lot of rice because it's still a grain. I kind of stay away from grains, but. Um, and in, in my book, I recommend that people, you know, keep it to a minimum just because diabetes is one of also one of the risk factors for dementia. You have a much, high, especially women, again, have a much higher chance of developing dementia if they're diabetic. And certainly if they're diabetic and obese, which is common, type 2 diabetes and obesity kind of go hand in hand. So right. I, I recommend that people stay away from it just because it, it you don't have to have it. White rice is kind of useless calories have the brown stuff. Right, right. Yeah, I, I I actually just recently bought my first bag of brown rice. I had another friend <laughs> suggest that I switch to that. And I was like, okay. And yeah, I mean, as far as taste or flavor, it's it's rice. It's, so it's yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Part of your other or your work with this also um, deals with with music, which I am a, a huge fan of. Anyone that you know listens to the show knows that I break the show up with music from a very close friend of mine because I I just I'm, I'm, to some extent the, sh- the idea of the show is that it's kind of like a, a hangout. And while we're not listening to music now because I don't know how to pipe it through to us, <laughs> if you were here in my home, like there would be a light music on in the background, you know, while we're talking. And yeah, it's not the the focus of it. Um, anyway, all that's just to say that I just absolutely love music. And so I'm really interested, how does music kind of tie into all of this? It's huge. So there, there are a couple of ways. Firstly, um, if you are a musician, your brain 
um, works differently than people who are not musicians. Mm. You, you, the right and the left hemispheres work in sync. And the, there's a strip that connects the right and left hemisphere. It's called the corpus callosum. And musicians have a much thicker, stronger corpus callosum, which means that the signals can get back and forth between the sem- uh, hemispheres better. Mm. Um, that, that, that means two things. One, that they are able to learn and retain information better because of that connection. Um, it also means that they have more cognitive reserve because there are more connections. Um, and so if something happens somewhere, there are more connections to take up, take up the slack is so, mm-hmm. sort of how it works. Very simplified, but that's basically what works. So being a musician means you have a much, I mean, like it's really significant you have a much less chance of developing any kind of dementia. Beyond that, it also protects you. If you were to develop dementia, it usually takes much longer to become incapacitating. Mm. So that's that's two things there. But but it doesn't really matter when you learn music. The cool mu- the cool news about this is, and I recommend this to all of my clients: take up a musical instrument. I don't care if you're forty or 25, or 85. Take up a musical instrument, and I don't care whether it's a recorder, or a ukulele, or the drums, because the the very act of playing music, especially like a stringed instrument, I play the harp, I play the piano and the harp, that, that motion of coordinating the right and left hand is incredibly good for your brain. So even if you haven't had lessons when you were a kid take up something anything to Mm. get that going because it will just it will hold you in good stead plus it's fun right it's a good way to relax and it's not about becoming a performer it's not about being a perfectionist or a musician it's just about playing music and having fun and and exploring all the great things you can do with it the other thing is uh singing singing um is very powerful for preventing dementia, but also for people who are already in early stages. It doesn't do much once you get past about mid-stage. But early stages, if you start singing, you're also going to get a little more protection against the the, the fast, the rapid advancement. Um, and singing is often done in groups, right? We play, we sing in choirs in the church or a glee club or something like that. It's a good social activity. So music mm-hmm. is it, like singing like that is, is also very good for the, the brain and, and your social life. <laughs> you know, if you decide to join a choir or something, dancing, music, dancing is hugely amazing for your brain. And mm. again, doesn't matter when you started. It doesn't matter if you start at 85 and you go ballroom dancing when I say dancing, I mean dancing where you are actually coordinating your movements with someone else. So something like ballroom dancing or salsa or uh, tango or something like that, where you're actually coordinating. And now I see a lot, and I'm so happy to see this, so many online uh, places where you can dance with a, like a choreographed dance for exercise. It's amazing. Firstly, it's exercise. It's really good, which we need. But secondly, it's it's that coordination. So it's doing the same thing for your brain as learning a musical instrument. Cool, huh? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, and it's. I, I love that you make the point. Um, it really resonated with when you said that you, you know, the, the point is not that you're trying to become a performer or a professional musician, musician or something like that. That is is such an important statement. While it might seem. <laughs> not the larger point that you were making, but it, it's so important because, I, and I say this from my own experience, you know, um, I, I, I have a daily routine now where I, I meditate and I journal and I visualize and all these things. And, um, but when I started, like, I was kind of afraid to start meditation because I thought I had to be like a mm-hmm. Tibetan monk to meditate. Right. Which was all just a made up stupid idea that I had created on my own. And I realized that pretty quickly after starting that it wasn't that was completely just made up um, or or like doing like even writing in the journal. Um, you know, I hear I, I talk to people about journaling, which is another thing I do. And they'll say, 
well, I, you know, I don't know what to write or I'm not a very good writer. And it's like, that's like, none of that is the point. Like, and frankly, no one, no one's going to ask you to read the journal anyway. So <laughs> no, exactly. offense, no one cares. And, no one cares. and the, the benefit of it is tremendous. Like mm-hmm. it, it's amazing to me how beneficial writing is. And it's not, and, and to be clear, it's not because I'm an excellent writer, it's, <laughs> but it has nothing to do with it. Out. Right. Yep. It, it helps you center your thoughts. So you talk about mindfulness and meditation. That's another yeah. very important thing to do to protect your brain because um, centering and stopping and, and mindfully being aware of your surroundings, of your thoughts, mm-hmm. that's hugely important. And I'm, I'm really glad to hear you do that journaling. I'm actually just conducting a program right now, and that's my, my, the attendees to my class. They're all, I'm asking them all, please journal, journal. Do it for me now. You don't have to let me read it. But do it for me as a part of the assignment. But I'll bet you after these five weeks are over, you're going to want a journal because you're going to start feeling how awesome it is to get those thoughts. It helps you like a brain dump in the morning and it helps you just center yourself. Yeah. Yeah. What I always talk about is that, you know, I, I know again from my own experience, I can think a thought and that that literal same exact thought can run in a circle in my mind <laughs> all day if I let it. Right. But if I write it down, I'm not going to write the same thing 500 times in a row. I would think it that often. But if I write it, it almost kind of not forces, but it kind of like encourages the mind to like, okay, well, what would come next though? Right. Because you're not going to just write the same thing. So it kind of helps step through. And again, I, you know, I, I think another thing, and you don't need to hear this, but <laughs> for the audience, you know, we, we talk about these things and, and I think that there's people who think that, um, these practices are, are being talked about as if like, oh, well, if you journal, you don't have any problems anymore. Oh, if you would play. And it's like, no, that's not it at all. It's a tool that goes in the toolkit to help with all these other things, to help solve real problems. Um, the act of journaling on its own is not <laughs> the solution to life, but man, it can help you figure out some of them. You know, um, I had an epiphany, a, a very significant personal epiphany a few months ago and the way that that kind of came about, I mean, it started with me just thinking. And then because I'm in the practice of journaling, I was like, I think I'm going to start writing this down. And I ended up writing, you know, literally 10 times more than I do in a normal journal entry. And it was just this really cathartic free writing experience. I'm like crying while I'm doing it. It was a very emotionally thing. But I, I only was able to have that because I had established the practice of journaling. And so it was just very comfortable and natural, you know. Yeah. And again, I say that just to, to try and give an example of like, it can help you even when you weren't. You know, I didn't plan that day to <laughs> to have this revelation and write all this, oh, you know. Right. So, anyway. You know, I, I, I'll, I'll share a little fun little thing, yeah, too. For, for my book, um, I really struggled with the name. First, it was going to be the no, nine, no. First, it was going to be Music Minded Matter, the um, the guide to saving your brain. I forget what it was. Anyway, it started off with Music Minded Matter. And then it was going to be the No Nonsense Guide to Saving Your Brain. And I kind of like that. But then one day I was journaling. Mm. And out of my pen came the words, don't let the memories fade. And I thought, that's it. That's it. Because this yeah. is what this is all about. Right. I couldn't stand the fact that my mom couldn't remember anything. And I, and I, my sincerest wish for everybody is that nobody ever goes through what my mom went through. So that's, that's where this don't let the memories fade. It was, it was a personal, please don't let this happen. And that, that got the whole thing going. Once I had that name, that title, man, the book just, cause I had all these pieces and then yeah. once I had that title, it was like, oh, that's what the book's about. Now right. I can finish it. Right. But that was that's from awesome. journaling. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. That's a really cool story. Yeah, it's it, it's shocking how um, how you get what otherwise would look like serendipity, right? Like these kind of <laughs> serendipitous moments. But but it's it. I mean, maybe there's an element of that, but it's also it, it's also because there's just a consistent. It's it's kind of like the, the state, the saying, um, 
luck is when opportunity meets preparation, <laughs> right? Exactly. It's kind of that same thing. It's like, were you lucky to find the title? Like, I guess, but really you've been preparing by doing this journaling and then the opportunity comes through the journaling and, and now you have this lucky title. <laughs> so, Yeah. And, and I think, I think if somebody who, who's listening, you've kind of thought about it and think, Oh, it's so goofy. Like it's, what is it? Like uh, just patting myself on the back or what am I going to write about? But I, I, I do teach this with, with all my programs and, and in the book and I say, just sit down. And if all you write down is, I don't know what to write. It'll start, right? It'll yes. start flowing. Or you write the lyrics to a song you like. It doesn't matter because yep. something nope. will start coming out. And if you write the lyrics to a song, it's going to be because that song is for some reason important to you that day. Mm -hmm. There's something mm -hmm. about that song that is making you think about it. And that'll start leading to other things. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's awesome. I give that, I mean, I'm not a coach or I don't have clients in the same way that you do. So not, it's not yeah. that same kind of dynamic, but when I talk to friends about journaling and things and they'll say the same thing, I don't know what to write. I say the exact same thing. I'm like, write down, I don't know what to write. And I bet you don't write that 10 times in a row. <laughs> and now you've got a journal entry. You've there won. You you know? We've made it. <laughs> Perfect. Made it. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. I'm so glad you're sharing that with your peers because I think a lot of people are sometimes like embarrassed or you know, like what a waste of time, but it's not a waste of time. It can give you so many answers and center you so much to, to things that might be important for your going forward. You know, you're young, you've got lots of stuff going on in your life and, and lots of choices to make and journaling will just help you make those choices much more easily and consciously and mindfully. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, for me personally, I mean, it, it you know, it was born out of a, uh, I, I, I had some people who were really close to me that I decided that I, I wanted to be in a better position to, to try and help them overcome some things and then realize that I needed to be able to overcome my own problems first. Right. It's, I'm not a Christian, but take the, the log out of your own eye before you point out the speck in your brothers. Right. Like it's, uh, and not, not that it was about shaming anyone else, but it was just like, I, I can't save you if I can't save right. me. So I got to figure out how to save me first. And I'm, I'm still in that process. And, and I don't know if it's ever really done. I, I'm learning painfully that it's a maintenance thing more than like a solution thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but so I am more than happy to tell people about it because it's worked for me personally. I'm, it's not just an intellectual understanding. Like I have seen the benefit myself. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's not hard, <laughs> not yeah. hard to advocate. And it's the same, like you're meditating and that sort of thing. So m being mindful in your life is, is hugely important not for brain health, for, for life. So like taking the time to be, be aware, conscious, even of the food you eat. I just, this program that I did, I just did a really funny segment while my, my attendees thought it was kind of funny about mindful eating. So I got this mandarin orange and the, the, the practice of mindful eating is you, you, you feel the texture of the, the object you're going to eat. You smell it. You, you, in my case, I was peeling this orange, this mandarin, and then you smell it. But the, the very act of taking that time and mindfully eating an orange or whatever it is you're eating is so incredibly um, revealing because mm how many times you just pick up a piece of fruit and you just like throw it and eat it and you don't even really taste it. Right. We do that in our life. We have people in our lives that we don't really pay attention to. We have pets. There are so many things that come by us and we don't pay attention. We don't give them mindful attention. So by practicing, whether it's journaling, by mindfully eating something, by meditating and all you're focusing on is your breath. Like you said, you thought it had to be you know, like a Buddha on a, on a mountaintop. If you yeah. just like pay attention to your breath, that's a meditation, yep. just breathing. That's just, what I do. Exactly. And that's, I, that's how I started. That's the best meditation still for me is to just pay yeah. attention to my breath. So just that very act, you're so smart to be doing that at such a young age. I wish I would have learned it a little bit earlier in my life. It would have probably saved me a lot of heartache because being mindful and appreciating those thoughts 
even though you want to discard them because they're coming in <laughs> like, okay, you can go now. But the fact that you're paying attention and recognizing that those are thoughts or those are tastes, whatever, it's just, it's such a good way to lead your life. And it's not a, a religious or a, or a, it's just a, a, a spiritual practice for yourself, right? You don't have to prove it to anybody or anything. It's just for you. Right, right. Yeah. I, I, I had a guy on a few months ago and we talked about the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, and he talked about in that about the, the difference between reacting and responding uh -huh. and, 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 and how when something comes in and you just react to it, that there's not, you don't have very much power, right? In, in that situation. But when you can choose to respond, you, you take all the power back and your response might end up being identical to what the reaction would be, but the difference is you chose it. Yeah. Um, and for me, that's what meditation has helped me with so much is it, it, it just, it, it's, it's like, it's like lifting weights, except for the mind where it's like practicing, something's going to come in and we're practicing the skill of like, stop, go away. Right. Right. <laughs> just here moment i'm just you know and then and and then it allows a little more space um between between those those moments have anyway, you heard I, have you heard of the seven day mental diet do you know what that is i haven't uh -uh. so back in the 30s there was this philosopher uh, from ireland i believe his, his name was emmett fox and mm. he wrote a little pamphlet um and it was about negativity about uh, avoiding negativity and his challenge at the time was to go seven days without letting a negative thought fester. So he, mm. he likened it to like, he, he recognized that negative things are going to come at you, but to brush them away like an ember off your sleeve. <laughs> and, and the, the challenge is to do seven days. But if you, if you go one day and then the second day you let a, a negative thought fester, you have to start all over again. The seven days have to start all over again. Anyway, I see. it's it's a really interesting idea. And I, I presented that challenge to my, my members of my group uh, this week and nobody took me up on it because <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that interesting? Because they yeah. knew that with all of the stuff going on right now, they weren't going to be able to do that. But they all said to me, the fact that you brought that up, those negative thoughts, and to to let them go, rather than letting them sit there and make my stomach upset and my heart beat and my pulse race, I'm going to be better at letting them go. Mm -hmm. So even if you can't commit to this, because he actually asked you to sign a piece of paper to yourself saying, I'm right. not going to let this happen for seven days. I'll tell you <laughs> what, I've made it three days. That's the and I've been doing this a while. I've only made it to three days and I've had to start over. And then I just don't do it for a while because I get frustrated. But it's, right. a, it's a really interesting practice. Just like you said, responding rather than reacting. It's kind of yeah. the same thing because you're, you're acknowledging that this is a thing, but then not right. letting it become a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, um, that's something that I've, I've, talked about a lot and, and, and thought about a lot is, is just the, the idea of like, and this is a, you know, thoughts control feelings, perception dictates reality, but a, a person's capacity to choose how to perceive something is really, really, really powerful. And, and certainly there are things like some of the stuff we've been talking about where it, there's not necessarily a way to think about it. That's not sad. Like the, the story of your mother. I, I, I don't, I'm not advocating that you could have thought about that differently and reframed it so that it wouldn't have been a, a painful experience. Um, but just simply that, you know, like uh, something I've talked about on this show before is, um, you know, the, the president that we have now, not a huge fan personally um, for about a year, two years, maybe after the 2016 election, I found myself listening to political podcasts. I was watching political TV shows, just on and on and on. I'm going, um, consuming this political content. And I actually felt myself getting stressed out about it. And then I realized I don't yeah. need to pay attention to this because I'm not, I'm not going and knocking on doors to convince people how to vote as a result of it. So it's not leading to an action. 
the action it's leading to is anxiety <laughs> and and for what re you know to yeah. what end so i just stopped yeah. and it was amazing how much less stressed out i was <laughs> just yeah, by see i don't by separate. yeah if i and i'm i'm with you there i do not pay any attention to it I'm, now my husband is a news junkie and he keeps bringing it up mm. and i keep saying i got gotcha, you but i don't want to hear it i just don't want to hear right. it because there's nothing right. I can do. Firstly, I'm not an American. I can't vote. I can't do anything to fix it. I can't, you know. Right. And by spreading the word, all I'm doing is making other people upset. So, you know, right. my my job in life is try to keep people healthy. And by spreading yeah. news about stuff like that is not helping them stay healthy. So that's kind of right. like defeating the purpose. But I get what you're right. saying. By by extricating yourself from a source of stress, you're you're helping yourself, but you're also helping the planet because you're not sending out more of that energy. Because you said about thoughts creating. Yeah. Boy, do they ever. I mean, you are your thoughts. The planet yes. is the cumulative thoughts of 8 billion people. So, right. you know, we have to think about what we're putting out there. Right, right. Yeah, well, and I, I guess, you know, the, what I was trying to, to get at too is just when I was listening to it, I thought initially it was because I thought I was like being like a an informed, more informed person. You know what I mean? And, and, and again, it's to some extent, yes, I was getting in, new information, but um, I, I don't know. I guess, I guess my point is just like being willing to take a step back and look at it and say, okay, but what am I actually doing from this? And if the answer is nothing, then, then walk away. And I, I guess I'm trying to tie that to the negative thoughts thing with just like how you see something and how you perceive it. Like you can change that. Yeah, in, absolutely. In many situations. Um, and so it, you, you can walk away from it. I, I think that that's another thing I've thought a lot about is that I think that there's a misconception that happiness is like a destination. Um, and I think that it's, and I, to be clear, I don't think this is a profound thought of my, of mine, but I agree with the, the idea that it's a much more of it, it, it is the journey, not the destination. Like happiness is a, a day by day process. It's a state of mind. It's not something that you attain. Honestly, I guess like everything else we're talking about, right? Like you don't get one good night of sleep and now you're less likely <laughs> to get dementia. You don't need one good meal, right? Like it's this constant maintenance of all of this that, that results in the better outcome. Uh, but yeah. it, it demands consistency. Yeah. It's a lifestyle, right? Like people say, yeah. well, I can't go to a vegan diet. And I'm like, you're not going to a vegan diet. Diets don't work. They don't right. work. You're, you're, right. you're choosing mindfully a lifestyle that serves you better. That gives you joy in the short term. Like it gives you peace of mind so that in the mm -hmm. long term, you don't suffer. So, right. and, and you were talking about perceptions, you know, that's very much a Buddhist thing. I, I guess if I were to claim a religion, it would be Buddhism, although Buddhism isn't really a religion, but um, a, a way of thinking. And yeah. the suffering comes from our perception. So when we, mm. when we are stressed, when we are worried, most of the things we're not being chased by a saber toothed tiger. We're not right. going to be hit by a bus most of the time. So um, that stress that we carry around all the time really has no place. That sympathetic right. nervous system that's going on is not helping us in the long term. It's just causing inflammation and all kinds of problems that can lead to many issues, cancer, all kinds of issues. But it's, it's our perception of the events and the people that we allow to create stress because their very existence doesn't create stress. It's how we perceive that that creates stress and unhappiness and pain. So mm -hmm. the, you were right on about perception. We, And that's where the negativity thing comes again. Because if you allow something to cause you pain, then you have to sit back and look and go, okay, why is that? There's nothing that's really going to cause me pain. I'm not going to die because of that. My children aren't going to die because, you know. I guess it's, it's all a right. perception thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. There was a quote that I heard, I don't know, maybe a year ago that, that has stuck with me probably due to the chagrin of my friends. Cause I repeat it all the time now. Um, <laughs> but it's that pain is mandatory. Suffering is optional. Um, and it's just this idea that like, 
yeah, sometimes things happen that are that are outside of your control that hurt. And and maybe it's a physical hurt or an emotional hurt or, or maybe it's just kind of tedious. And maybe it's not actually even really fair to call it pain, but whatever. It's not pleasant, not comfortable. And maybe you can't avoid that. But all of the time surrounding that, that was exactly what you're just talking about, where you're you're anxious about it or dreading it or, or holding on to it after it's gone. Like all of that is optional. Like that is all Absolutely. our choice. Yep. Um, and I think some people kind of shy from that because I, I think that there's a, a confusion between um, blame and responsibility. Um, and, and it's, it, because something is your responsibility doesn't mean it's your fault. Right. And conversely, just because something is someone else's fault doesn't mean it's their responsibility That's right. um, to, to correct it. So um, I find it empowering when I hear that I, that it's something I can change and control. Right. But some people think that, well, I don't want to hear that because now it's all my fault <laughs> that it's all wrong. And it's like, no, 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 it's not about, it's not about blaming you. It's about empowering you to like, Hey, you're not trapped. You're not stuck. Like you're, you're not hopeless. You know? Yeah. I found, um, I don't know if you believe about life beyond death. I, I do. I believe that we're a soul having a human experience. And um, there are people who can communicate with those who've chosen to go on. My father's mother came to speak to me through my former husband because she could see from her vantage point that I was miserable. I was very unhappy. I was very stressed. And she came to him. He was one of those people that is able to hear. And she said, I want you to tell Katie to have joy because she doesn't have joy. And that's the only thing that we regret when we get here to where I am now is those mm. days that we did not experience joy. Those opportunities mm. that we passed up for joy. And when you said about the, the uh, process, about the, the journey, joy was what her message was to me. Joy is the journey. Mm. And, and yeah. you know, we, we can't have joy. We can't experience joy if we're trapped in some worry or, you know, anticipation. It's like a, when you watch, like I, I had a dog up until recently and, and his joy pouncing on the lizards out here it's just like that moment i loved watching him because he just it was just pure joy just like the process of just and whether he caught the lizard or not didn't matter he just loved doing that and and, and to watch a small child see something or play with an animal you know that joy that moment that that is not affected by anything but that moment that pro mm. that that journey is so precious and important. And if we let worry and stress um, get in the way, then you, you know, you're missing everything. And I'm, I got to tell you, after she came to visit and she was around for a few years, <laughs> popping in and out of the most amazing times, but those hmm. experiences really got me on this path. Cause I was in my mid, well, early fifties, I guess when she started talking to us. Mm. And, and I really, it, it was that long in my life that I was not, you know, in that place. And I really right. appreciate that. That's why I say, I'm so happy for you that you figured it out so young because it's such, <sighs> such an important thing. I didn't figure anything out. I, I just talked to people like you on this show and they <laughs> teach me all sorts of stuff. So I've got the easy road. Everyone else did all the work of learning and figuring it out. They just, luckily they write things and they're willing to talk. So I, I've got ears. I'll listen. <laughs> hey, but you um, know what? That's, but that, see, I, I read those books. I read books. I read all the, mm -hmm. the art of happiness. I read Zen guitar. I mean, I read all those books. I got that right. information. It's not like I didn't have access to it, but I did not right. act on it. You're acting. See, that's right. the difference is that we can have all this information, but unless you do something with it, it's just black notes on white paper. Man, I'll tell you, I, the other day I was talking to a friend and I said, um, you know, I think it's pretty common for people to understand that you shouldn't act without thinking, right? Like you wouldn't just run into a wall face first, obviously. And that's a very silly example, but it doesn't make sense to act without thinking. It also doesn't make any sense to think without acting. Um, and I think that's a thing that people don't 
observe or consider very much is like, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot of great discussion and thought and whatever, but like, what are you actually going to do with this knowledge that you have? Because that is where change comes. You know what I mean? Is through action, through, through real implementation of it. Um, and again, it doesn't have to be wonderful. Like if you read my journal, you wouldn't turn the page. You wouldn't read the next page. You know, it's not good. Um, but it doesn't matter. And, and the, you know, it, to go back to that, but um, anyway, I just, I thought that was, I thought that was an interesting conversation that, that I had about that just because like I said, I don't think it's something that, that people really give enough weight to. I don't know. Um, so you're in Ecuador. Are you working and you've, you've talked about the groups you're working with. Are you working with, with people in the local area there? Or are you working with people online? Like how do you, how do you, okay. Online. I mean, I do some therapy cause I'm, I'm a vibroacoustic therapist, which means I, I do sound therapy. Um, so I do, do, do obviously have to be in person and I have a few clients. I have a couple of kids who are autistic and so I, I'm working with them here. Um, and that's just a volunteer thing. I don't charge for that for the kids. So I do that here, but as far as coaching and stuff, that's all online. Yeah. It's, it's a way to get to the most people to do as much as I can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so that's what I was going to, to, to go to then. So if someone is listening and, and they would be interested in, in maybe, you know, working with you, obviously, you know, you've, you've got your book, um, don't let the memories fade, um, that, that people can, can read, but if they wanted to, to maybe connect with you more directly, is there a way to do that or how would they go about that? Sure. They can just go to kateconkel.com, a Kate and okay. then dot com, And, and there I've got a great blog. So I, I really, actually, I built the book and the blog at the same time. So I share a lot of the information in the blog from the book and vice versa. And, um, so there's lots of good information. People can jump right in and learn a lot. It's, it's not like my personal, there are maybe three entries that are personal. The rest are, are information blogs. Um, so I've got that. I've got lots of information about brain health and of course music. Cause I do music therapy, you know, um, I do recordings for people, that sort of thing. So it's a great place to get lots of information. And yeah, and then my programs are all there. All that's there on the website. Awesome. Um, well, I will make sure that in the show notes, we've got links, you know, a link to your website there so that people can just click it directly and, and go right there. Um, okay. I have been absolutely thrilled with our conversation and I'm so, so grateful that you took the time to join me today. Was there anything else that we didn't get to that you would like to, to chat about at all? Uh, I, all I would like to encourage people is to, to think it's never, never too early to look after your brain, but it can get too late. So don't let it get too late. Don't let the memories fade. In Missouri without a break Neighbors on the front porch strumming A Kool-Aid from the Dollar Tree Summer nights we would chase it When kids play hide and seek Smell the brick chuckle burning A watermelon runs in dirty feet Memories of the love that you had I'll help you find it Warm boats when the fires glow. 
that we were playing board games, supper table, out of town famous day, and made food was a staple. Memories of the love that you had, help you find the Right, folks well that's gonna do it for the show today thank you again so much to kate kunkel for stopping by i really enjoyed our conversation again the book is don't let the memories fade we'll have links to that uh, in the show notes you can also go to her website katekunkel.com there'll also be links for that in the show notes i also of course want to thank misha zarens for providing the music and last but not least thank you listener for listening to the show today i also want to invite you to check out my other podcast pick up your sticks which is co-hosted by me and brett lindley Pick Up Your Sticks is a podcast about video games, but instead of just covering news and reviews, we try and also talk about why gaming matters. So if you like long-form conversations, I think you'll really like Pick Up Your Sticks. You can find it anywhere podcasts are found. Again, thanks for listening. Have a great week. Stay up. Stay up.